0: I've done that now three times today, and I can't wait to do it again at five and again at 11. It's amazing what it does to strengthen my heart, to just rehearse and remind myself of the, the miracle story of Christmas. You need to understand it's not just a story, it's isn't a fable, it's history, history that we're recounting, history of God revealing himself and unfolding his love for us, people in whom he is well-pleased. One of the things I try and do is I go back every year to um, this particular time where we focus on God piercing into the darkness and bringing us hope is is I I try and spend time, I always do, in in Matthew 1 and Luke 1 and 2 specifically where where that birth story is told and where we're understanding the the miracle of at the fullness of time, God chose to reveal a little bit more of who he was. The, The goodness of God is his glory and goodness was seen in this moment like none of us even dared imagine. Even though the prophets told about it, the people who studied the prophets missed the amazing miracle of what we call the incarnation that God would be veiled in human flesh. And I think about who I might relate to in that story and I try and put myself in different characters and and specifically I've tried to place myself in in, in the position of Mary. Now that might seem weird to you that a 50 something year old guy would imagine himself as a teenage girl, but that's how you stay culturally relevant these days. And I think about exactly you know um, what it must have been like, and, and honestly, as I was this year reading Luke one, and as I was thinking about what it would have been like to have been like Mary, I had a, a deep sense, or if you will, a, the whisper in my soul that I recognize often as the kindness of God showing me something, where He just said, "Hey, Todd, that is your story. You are like Mary." And as I, I, I thought about that a little bit more, a lot of us kind of go, wait a minute, man, that's, a, that's a, a little bit of an audacious statement, especially because we know that in certain circles, Mary is venerated, frankly, in a very unhealthy way. Mary was never to be worshipped. Mary was never to be understood as divine. That is a, a perversion of the gospel narrative often displayed that way within Roman Catholicism. It was an idea that was adopted later. It's not in the scriptures. And sometimes, I think, those of us that are not of that tradition because we don't want to put Mary in an unhealthy place, we don't put her in the proper place that Mary should be seen in. But Jesus did. Right? There were people that, that even came up and around Jesus and, and they said to him, in Luke chapter 11, verse 27, it says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the, and the breast at which you nursed. And Jesus responded and said, no, blessed are those rather who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus himself said, you want to know who's blessed? It's not my mother. There was no immaculate conception as it relates to Mary. That's the false teaching that exists in some churches that Mary was conceived without sin. But no, Mary understood that the Savior that she delivered would soon deliver her because she needed a Savior. Again, I know I do. And as I studied the story of Mary again, and I looked at what God was showing us in the story of Mary, I saw more and more of myself, and I think you'll see some of yourself in this particular story. Let's just visit together. It's in Luke chapter 1. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel um, was sent from God, was sitting in Galilee called Nazareth. You go, what, what do you mean the sixth month? It's the sixth month of the story that had just preceded that. A relative of Mary, we don't know exactly their relationship, but a relative of Mary, Elizabeth herself had become pregnant in a rather miraculous way. She was advanced in years. She was barren. Everybody was pretty convinced she wasn't going to have a child. And lo and behold, she did become pregnant. So six months into that pregnancy, We have the encounter that shows up now in verse 26 and following. The same angel Gabriel that had visited Elizabeth's husband now appeared to a virgin who was engaged, not married yet, to a man whose name was Joseph. He was a a descendant of David, and, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, the angel said to her, stop right there. What do you think the angel's gonna to say to this little girl in this little two-bit town of Nazareth? Nazareth was a town that if you lived in it, you were not considered to be a spiritual person. Spiritual people didn't live in northern Israel. Spiritual people lived down there around Jerusalem, around the holy city, around places where the word of God was taught and covenants were anticipated. Not up in the, the place where you went to make money where all the Romans lived, the Roman garrisons were there. People in, it, in Nazareth were not renowned for their attention to the prophets. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And again, I wonder if Mary ever wondered if anything good could come out of her. Because no matter how wonderful she was, Mary knew that she herself didn't keep the law and the prophets. There was something about Mary that caused God to chose her, but we too often think it was because Mary was the saint as opposed to God being as good as he was. What do you imagine God would say to you if in the moment of your darkness and sin, not being concerned with spiritual things, showed up in your life? I want you to think about that for a second. Some of us don't have to think back that long to a time when we were not part of the promises and covenants of God, where we weren't interested in spiritual things, where we were focused on what the world could offer us in our Nazareth. And all of us have moments in our life where we're pretty sure if God showed up unannounced, it wouldn't be a warm greeting. What do you think God's gonna to say to Mary? I'll tell you this, what you imagine God would say to you if he kicked in the, the door, if you will, um, of your life in the midst of your sin, says everything about who you, who you imagine God to be. Let me repeat that to you. As I was just thinking about this, and God was just showing me more of his character and his nature and reminding me of what Christmas is all about, was this. He said, Todd, what you imagine I would say to you if I kicked the door in in the midst of your sin in your most horrible moment says a lot about who you imagine me to be, but I want you to stop imagining who I am and listen to who I am. See, too many of us think that God said to Mary the words that he was about to say to Mary because Mary was somehow special. No. God said what he's about to say to Mary because God is better than we can ever imagine. He's kind and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, full of grace and truth. Here's what he said. He said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And because the Lord is with you, because he left the glory of heaven into a cradle on the earth, because he was coming to fulfill his promises, there's going to be peace on earth and there's going to be goodwill towards men there's going to be a chance for you, so I don't know what you imagine God to want to say to you in the midst of your sin, but would you just look at Christmas? What God would say to you is, I want to demonstrate my love for you in that while you're still sinners, I'm going to give you my son. Christmas didn't happen because the world had evolved into righteousness. Christmas happened in the midst of silence and sin and doubt, and despair, and the distraction of Nazareth. And still God came, because that's what God does. He longs to present favor and kindness to you. Look at the exchange. In verse 29 it says, Mary was very perplexed at this statement, and wouldn't you be? Aren't you a little shocked? But God says, I want you to do what Mary did. I want you to keep pondering. What kind of salutation is this? What kind of God gives that salutation to somebody who is by definition a sinner? And the angel said it again to her, don't be afraid, Mary. For you, and completely apart from you, because of who God is, you have found favor. What you believe about the basis of your favor with God is a tell on whether or not you understand Christmas. What you believe about the basis of why God would grant you favor is a tell on whether or not you understand Christmas. The reason that Mary received favor is not because she was God's favorite, but because God is more wonderful than you can imagine. God doesn't show favor to you because you tied, because you come to Christmas Eve service, because you haven't been immoral in 2019. Because you promise you won't be immoral in 2020. God comes because God is kind. His favor is never deserved. It is a gift, just like Christmas. He says, This, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And so Mary said, how can this be? How can this be since I am just a virgin? Now, this is where the story gets even a little bit more interesting. I want you to think about this. If if I had told you that you were going to be in an encounter with God and the encounter with God was going to start like this, knowing everything he knows about you, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. You You would be like Mary. You would be perplexed. God would have to say to you again, hey, don't be afraid for you have found favor with God and behold, you're going to conceive new life inside of you. The question might be begged right there, well, how in the world is new life going to come inside of me? Because God, I've told you a number of times, I would never march towards death again, and yet again and again and again, I go back to the exact same trouble of which you delivered me from. Well, the answer for you and I is also found in the answer that God gave to Mary, but watch this. I want to say one thing. Just like it's a miracle that God would allow a virgin to conceive a son, it's just as impossible for a sinner to conceive of sin and righteousness and judgment as it is for a virgin to conceive a child. Let me say this to you again. Left to yourself, you would never, ever do what the Bible does. The Bible's a very God-exalting man, deprecating book. The message of this Bible is not, be good or you're in trouble. The message is, you're in trouble. And there's nothing you can do about it. Because you, like Mary, have been born into a race that has rejected the goodness of God, mocks the word of God, and goes your own way. This is not a book that tells you how to work your way back to God. This is a book that at the center of it reveals God running towards you, revealing himself towards you, and rescuing you in darkness and sin. And if you think it's a miracle, that a virgin can have a child, you're right. But you need to know there's another miracle that God is in the business of wanting to do, and that is to conceive inside of you a new life, that you would be born again. And that's never gonna happen because of human interaction. It's gonna happen because the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It'll happen because God's going to do a work that could never ever happen by your own effort. Women don't wish to be pregnant and on their own become pregnant. Especially without the seed. And the seed which leads to new life in us is the seed of the Holy Spirit, which the scripture says convicts us of sin, of acknowledging that we are not who God designed us to be, of righteousness, Too many of us have too high a view of man and too low a view of God and we think we can work our way back up and fill the gap. And this book and this scripture and the spirit of God says, no, you have completely fallen. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You're unable to work your way back to God. But God, being rich in grace and mercy, has offered a way for you to be restored to him. This is the gospel. This is why Christmas is such a big deal. What you think makes you favorable in God's eyes tells me what you think and understand about Christmas. Christmas is the revelation of God's full and complete rescue. The angel said in verse 35 to Mary, This is how it's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, What's born in you will be called the Son of God. It's the same thing that happened to me. The Holy Spirit, in God's kindness, convicted me of my sin. I saw that the religion that I had been exposed to and defines most of what's taught in churches around the world was a lie. And he said, this is what you need to know, Todd. There is no working towards me. There's only a rescue. And if you want to be have a new life born in you. It's going to come when you understand sin and real righteousness and real love and real judgment. And you receive the gift that I offer you. The angel goes on to tell Mary about what's going on, says, I want you to go visit Elizabeth, your relative. She's now barren. I know that's crazy to you, but she says, uh, Mary hears in verse 37 Listen, you need to know, nothing is impossible with God. And I want to say this to you here this Christmas Eve. At the moment you believe that God can't change something, you are practically a non-believer. The moment you believe that your story can't change, the moment you believe that Christmas can't radically change who you are and taking you from being a person that is a a source of distraction to your family to becoming a blessing, that moment you are practically a non-believer. Only God, only God can do what we sing about at Christmas and only God can do what all men long for, which is to reconcile us to him. Now here's what else is so amazing about Mary. As I I looked at this particular story and I saw the the miracle of what God had done in my life, and he had taken away the things that were there and he replaced it with a a spirit of truth and a conviction of, of, of what sin was and how kind he was. Jesus says this himself. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. And I grasped that truth. And when I grasped that truth, it changed the trajectory of how I spoke, how I thought about God, and how I lived. You're gonna find the exact same thing was true of Mary. Mary, right after this, began just to sing a song of worship to God. It's a rather famous section of scripture. It starts in Luke, 46 in chapter one. And it just is called the Magnificat of Mary. And she's going to celebrate the amazing miracle of what God was going to do. And I read it again this year. And as I was reading it, that still strong, loud voice that I recognize as from my father in heaven said the same thing to me. He said, Todd, I want you to read every single one of these words. And I want you to ask yourself, couldn't these words be your words? And the answer is every one of these words are words that people who have had the miracle of Christmas come to them should sing. Let's just look at it. Here we go. Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. Well, why wouldn't it? Because God has done the impossible. Why would my soul exalt the Lord? Because he has taken me, somebody destined for judgment, somebody who thought that my own good works would save me, when in fact the Bible says they're filthy rags because God demands absolute perfection because that's who he is. And he showed me the futility of the dead works of men, and he showed me God's provision entered in history, that all of human history pivots on him, some 2,000 years ago, there's one man that lived, one tomb that's empty, one savior who has prophesied and has been affirmed in the context of humankind, and he's saying, he will save you, and so my soul exalts him, and the spirit makes me rejoice in God my savior, there's nothing and no one else that we should rejoice in except Christ himself. That's what I live to do. I live to tell other people about the kindness of God towards me, that he's shown me the reality of the Christmas story. It's not just a warm, fuzzy fairy tale. It's not something Charles Schultz captured to make some little cartoon that we would be somehow warmed by. No, it is the salvation of all men. For Verse 48 says, he has regard for the humble state of those who he wants to redeem and in love who give themselves to him that's what a bond slave was a bond slave was not somebody that was obligated to serve a master a bond slave is somebody who is so in love with their master and and if you will almost their employer that they say I give my life to you I commit myself to you I'll never leave you or forsake you Mary said that's who she is and God it says is somebody who has regard for the humble but he's opposed to the proud verse 48 verse 48 He says, from this time forward, all generations will count Mary as blessed. That's been my story. It's the story of anybody who really understands the truth of Christmas because what happens is when you begin to love as he loves and extend grace as he extends grace and forgive as you've been forgiven and lead as he leads. And as you find healing in your own life, bring healing into relationships, generations around you are blessed. You're no longer ruled by anger. You're not ruled by despair. You, You stay with the wife of your youth this morning I got together I think for the 20th year in a row with about five or six guys that I've just been gathering with every Christmas Eve morning we get together and we just sat around the table and every single one of us because of Christmas because of what God's done in our life. We're still married to the wives of our youth. Every one of us talked about the fact that our kids want to be with us at Christmas. Our kids love one another because they've been raised in a home where they've taught the love of Christ to one another. We're not perfect families, believe me, by a long shot, but there is a blessedness among the generations and others who would say that because of the life you lived in response to Christmas, there is goodness. That's God's destiny with those who know him. It's not always easy. Your spouse may not be faithful to you. Your kids may rebel but you won't add to the confusion with your own brokenness and sin when you walk with God. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. I can say that. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. I can say that. He's done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud and the thoughts of their hearts. I can say that. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has exalted those who were humble. I can say that. He has filled the hungry with good things. Just like Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. I can say that. He sent away the rich empty-handed. Those who don't think they need God are still looking for satisfaction in this world. I can say that. He has given help always to those that are his servants, who remember his mercy just like he spoke to our father Abraham and his descendants forever, he spoken to me. God promised Abraham, Abraham, I will, I will bless you and make myself known to you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. What, what Jesus later says is, you want to know who the descendants of Abraham are? Those who believe in the promise that I gave Abraham in the same way that Abraham believed. Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. I can say like Mary that all who believe are part of that blessing. The Christmas story is alive and Jesus is here today and I I think he's appearing to you one more time and he's just saying greetings favored one, I haven't wrapped up the world in judgment yet, that day's coming but it hadn't come yet because I'm patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish but all come to eternal life. So I've let blessed, faithful ones here to declare to you the story a little bit longer. In the midst of the darkness, they are a light to you, revealing to you that something happened in the city of David. And that is that Jesus was born. That you might be reconciled to God if you'll just humble yourself, see his love, and become his bondservant. The shepherds responded to that exact same story. Shepherds were not esteemed individuals. Shepherds were, were long despised. They were second class. They were not considered trustworthy. They couldn't serve as judges. They weren't even allowed to be witnesses. They, they, were, um, they, were, they were called sinners and shepherds. The words were interchangeable. And yet God went first to them. And he said to them the blessed words that we've already sung and heard tonight. Glory to God. And on earth, peace to men with whom he is pleased. Can I just say this to you? God is pleased to reveal to you again that now for 2,000 years, he is revealing again the solution to your sin, to to your sinfulness. And if you'll just respond to the message from an angel, if you will. The word angel always means messenger. And so as Gabriel stood before Mary, as the angel stood before the shepherds, I stand before you and I declare to you, greetings, favored one. peace peace can be found in this christ child who gave himself for you and the shepherds didn't forget what they had seen but the scripture says that they made known the statements would have been told to them about this child in luke 2:17 It says the shepherds went back. Their lives were changed in verse 20. They glorified God and they praised God. And that's what faithful shepherds do. And if you know the story of Christmas, you can sing like Mary. If you know the story of Christmas, you should glorify and praise God like the shepherds. You can be part of the nobodies like shepherds were, telling everybody about the somebody that was born 2,000 years ago. You can respond in faith so that others Say that they're blessed to know you, part of the redeemed that have been rescued from sin and death, and that aren't empty of love, but that are humble. This is our privilege. Really, we've had a little tradition here on on, on Christmas Eve where we've taken the Advent candle, and we know that there's different aspects to the Advent wreath. There's four different candles that are lit throughout the year, but then when we get to Christmas, in the middle of it, there's the, the Christ candle, and we've, we've always taken the Christ candle, and from this revelation of God, this provision of God, light goes into the darkness. We've used it as a metaphor, and we're gonna use it again tonight, and I want you to wait. I want you to wait till the light gets to you, that faithful shepherds will take the truth that they've heard and they've seen, and they don't just ponder them in their heart, they proclaim them to all who receive the message. Not everybody received the message. Jesus says, I didn't really come to declare peace on earth, but I came with a sword to divide. And you've got to figure out where you stand in relationship with Christmas. Not just the facts of the story, but what's your faith and the condition of your heart? And what's the purpose of this child? And if you know it, you're a light of the world. You're God's messenger, you're God's faithful ones who should pass it on a little bit more. And boy, this world knows it. You don't have to be a somebody. You just got to tell everybody about the somebody that is the focus of Christmas.